Fitzy and Hart on WEEI. Boston Sports Original. But naughty by nature. Three balls, two strikes, two out, three on, six, six in the ninth. And he, did he go to his mouth or he took Whoa. two? Oh, he didn't get out. He got out of the box and the game is over. Oh, my goodness. He wasn't ready to hit by the pitch clock and he's called out. Oh, my. And we think the game is over. The ninth inning's over anyway and it's tied at six. Wow. Wow. And there it is. The beginning of the 2023 Red Sox campaign, spring training game number one, ending in a 6-6 tie thanks to a pitch clock violation. You couldn't script it any weirder. You can't make it more entertaining than the fact that Joe Leone and Will Fleming, the great broadcasters who, of course, just in one hour's time will have today's Rays at Red Sox game from JetBlue Park here on the WEI Red Sox Network. We're as confused as the rest of us. Andy, before we get into it, it was awesome. It was hilarious. I, I hate to laugh in that regard because I, too, am like you. I'm looking for reasons to get excited about or at least believe in something positive about the Red Sox this year. But holy smokes, you couldn't have a more glorious and ridiculous start to, quote, the pitch clock era in baseball. Yep, and we need it. They created this uh, this bed, so now they have to lie in it. And uh, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, preseason NFL's past where you have a rule change or point of emphasis, and they go nuts in the preseason to try to prove their point, teach the players how it's going to be called, and whether it's intentional grounding, roughing the passer, illegal um, touching, whatever. Um, so An illegal touching. I didn't mean that. <laughs> illegal contact. <laughs> illegal touching is a different thing. Different thing for a different day. Watch out! Uh, <laughs> what kind of show is this? Um, but no, it's. It, I, I'm intrigued by the pitch clock. All these ten to twenty percent time reductions and how it's going to go and how it's going to change the pace of the game and and all of this. And I I think it could be fun. I think it could be good. There will be a few little stumblings out of the blocks probably um but i'm all for it they they created this mess now they have to deal with it yeah they they really did uh it, it's it's amazing so that vid the video of the call on nesson yesterday of the end of the game with the pitch clock violation has six million views right now and counting uh so obviously it was off discussed shared derided celebrated yesterday uh it's it's like I watched a couple other highlights yesterday and I mean, the games are going to be brisk. That's for sure. And people are going to have to like be on their horse and they can't they can't tune out the clock like you're not going to have Nomar pulling at the gloves for a minute and a half. You won't have David Ortiz stretching and spitting on the gloves, the human rain delay, the great Mike Hargrove from the 80s. Those 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 guys that those traditions and tactics if you will they're long gone like they're looking to speed the game up and in some of the parks where they have this giant clock behind the batter like it was a bit of an eyesore almost if you will um i didn't necessarily notice that it didn't bother me uh per se because you get used to all kinds of things back there at the various ballparks mm -hmm. and moving ads and the i know the the fake ads that gresh so despises at, on bruins games you get those in baseball sometimes the cgi superimposed ads so no the clock didn't bother me i am i and and i know i am sort of a baseball purist and on one level but this argument that like you know you signed up for a long game with no clock a long game with no end kind of thing that's what ba makes baseball special 
was just taken to an extreme. And I know hitters need to be prepared to hit just like pitchers need to be prepared to pitch. And there may be some adverse effects on some people, but I think in the long run, it's going to balance itself out. You'll get just as many hitters that maybe are mm -hmm. in there a tad before they're truly comfortable, but you're also going to have pitchers throwing the ball before a tad before they're mm -hmm. truly comfortable. So won't that just average out to more fast-paced, better baseball where we're going to see a little bit more action, even if it is uh, mm -hmm. at the comfort level, costing the comfort level of some of the players? I, I couldn't agree more. Some pitchers will get in a rhythm and they'll dominate, and some hitters will take advantage of a pitcher who probably could have used a few more seconds to right. get a better grip or regain his strength or connect with his catcher and make the right call. Uh, if you want to go to Twitter, you just type in the words pitch clock. You'll see people like our pal Jared Carabas calling it the clock of death, causing major anxiety, chaos, anarchy, and mayhem. I'm here for it. Like I always say, Andy, Rich Eisen, the powers of B, the powers that be in baseball need to know there is not a soul who wants a baseball game to end with a walk-off pitch clock violation. And that includes any soul who thinks the game takes too long and needs to go faster. So you've got people that want to like, you know, go full chaos theory and say, fine, let's find a way to speed it up, do things differently and make the game more exciting. So you can't take your eyes off of it uh, when you're grabbing selfies and overpriced souvenirs at Fenway. And then you've got the traditionals that are just like, come on, there was nothing wrong with the game. Leave it alone. Well, there was something wrong with the game. And I I'm glad they're making an effort to improve it. Andy, back to the phones we go. Let's get to Brendan in the car. I told him we'd talk to him. Brendan, what's going on? Hey, guys, uh, love the show. I just want to know, do you think John Smith will be better with Bill O'Brien? Because I'm not going to swear on air like I did last year complaining about him, but I'm wondering if he's going to be better, or do you think he's going to get released? Because I saw a report that he might get released. That's all I wanted to know, and thank you guys for taking my call. Bye-bye. Okay, Brendan, you're welcome. And uh, if you pulled over to uh, take the call, thank you very much. Maybe that was his uh, hazard lights. Mm. Or if you need to make that left or that right, go right ahead. And I will tell you, Jonu Smith will not be released this season. I feel very comfortable saying that. The reason being, the dead cap hit for two years of getting absolutely nothing and then just seeing a pockmark on this year's $225 million salary cap would be devastating for the Patriots. You Maybe they could find a willing trade partner. I doubt it, Andy. More so, yes, you will likely see Bill O'Brien do everything he can to make some use of Jonu Smith and the waterlogged corpse that has been his contract to date. Oh, to find a trade partner, you'd have to do one of those, you trade them a good pick so they take your guy. That's the only way you'd be able You'll to do to that. You'll have to goff it up? Yeah. Uh, and I don't. I, you're stuck with him. The, the only thing you can do now is try to find whatever the best-case scenario is for John o. Smith in this offense to contribute some level, some form or fashion, special teams, blocking, a uh, few screens here or there. I, I don't know what it is, Billy O'Brien. That is one of your tasks. It's not an easy one. That's why you make the big bucks, and that's why everybody thinks you're a really good offensive coach. But, yeah, John o. Smith is here. You just got to find a way to get some return on that investment. Yeah, you, you you just you cannot you cannot just give up on it. Uh, look, and and don't anyone just go jump right to and you and I have not shouted people down about this one, but don't anyone please think like, well, I know Hunter Henry could be a a salary cap casualty or a cut candidate, but you know Bill O'Brien, you know he's so great with two tight ends. Obviously, he's gonna fix them both, and they're gonna go back to twenty eleven. Like, please, those were such unique talents in second year Gronk and second year Hernandez. I mean. You'll just never see, I don't think we'll ever see talent like that on the same team at the tight end position anytime again, anytime soon as well. And 
Those were unique times, and Bill O'Brien did an awesome job reinventing the offense after moving on from Randy Moss early on in the 2010 season. All right, Andy, let's get to actually what's going on with the Patriots right now a lot this week. So many, so many different things. I'd actually like to hear uh, from you. We talked a lot of Patriots on the podcast. There's been plenty of dialogue on the radio station, but of the many different topics, uh, controversies, subtopics, and little tidbits, what sticks out as the prime conversation piece for you right now? Uh, something I read this morning, actually, from Mike Reese with Mike Tannenbaum leading off Mike's uh, Sunday Notes column. Not um, even something from your Sunday 7 available for reading right now at WEI.com? No, I wrote that. Something else more interesting out there that came to me that I want to talk about. I would urge people, go to WEI.com. I think there's valuable things to be read in the Sunday 7 as we tip off scouting combine week and some references there and i started the fitzy side of things with a positive look what are the strengths of the patriots roster as you embark on the offseason and embark on the draft and free agency and trades and try to upgrade the roster but no mike reese talking about our friend jacoby myers who you know i like mm -hmm. who you know i would like to resign but when i see mike tannenbaum speculate that jacoby myers is going to get between 15 and 20 million dollars annually on his yeah. free agent contract i wish you well in your future endeavors jacoby <laughs> i hope you have a solid career i can't I go wish, there yeah, no yeah i just want to let you know no hard feelings bro nope none whatsoever thank come you back so much. when you get cut in two years we'll be happy to have you back after you're a cap casualty in a couple of years but uh, mm -hmm. good lord, fifteen to. I told you I would love the offer. I would love to throw out there is three and thirty nine, thirteen million dollars a year with something in the range of I don't know twenty five million dollars guaranteed. And you know what I call that. that? I call that the Napoli or the uh, the Victorino because yep. both of them were brought into the twenty thirteen Red Sox on three year for thirty nine million dollar deals. Mm hmm. I would it's do a that. Perfect. He's now if places like Spotrack and other sports salary positional value websites are saying he's going to he's he should deserve a 12 to 12 and a half million dollar average annual value salary okay i can swallow that i guess because it's unbelievable that a good number two or number three receiver depending on what team he plays on is the best free agent receiver available but holy smokes if a receiver needy team with a lot of money to spend like the texans or like the chicago bears says jacoby myers is the key to assisting our first, second, or third-year quarterback and giving him a reliable target, and they're going to pay him that much money. I mean, it's been fun. Thank you so much for becoming something worth watching in 2020 and 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 uh, rewarding the faith I showed in him in 2019 when I said he was going to be a good player and people called into the morning show to tell me what an idiot I was. You can tell me what an idiot I am for plenty of different things, but I always had faith in Jacoby Myers, and it proved to be true. He's been one of the steadier players for the last three years during this playoff victory drought. But am I crazy to think that either between trade, free agency, the NFL draft, or a combination therein, you can't replace maybe not what he brings as a person, man, and leader in the locker room, but you can't replace him on field? Well, and, and I think you can probably replace the the man, the leader, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of good men out there. I know the the bad guys get a lot of... Uh, publicity in the NFL, the turds, as Mike Florio used to put it on Pro Football Talk. I think there's a lot of good, hardworking professionals out there and a lot of really good football players, and you have the 14th pick in the draft. And Daniel Jeremiah, one of the things that's in my Sunday notes, his uh, conference call he did with the media, he has Jordan Addison as his best receiver. If he were picking for the Patriots at 14, that'd be the guy he'd be targeting for his hands, his route-running ability, and that's 
and people don't know, that's the receiver that was basically the best in college football a year ago at Pitt, then transferred to USC, had a very good year there with Lincoln Riley. Um, really good receiver prospect who may or may not be available at 14. Who knows how it all plays out. That's what I'd be swinging for, a true number one receiver, cost-controlled for the next five years. That's, to me, the value uh, potentially that you could have there. Whereas Jacoby Myers, if you want to tell me $12 million a year, I'm listening. Let's have a conversation because I think he's he's worth uh, a little bit more to you than he is to anybody else with Mac Jones and as you transition to a new offense and all of that. But if you're going to go north of 15 and approach $20 million a year, I know I say cap is crap, but I just don't think that's that's good value. That's good money spent for a two-slash-three receiver, a complimentary receiver, even, even when he's at his best. Uh, you know, Reed may be Jahan Dotson 2.0, but we'll see what that kid can do in his second year. He had a promising start. I know that was Mike Giardi's guy last year. Um, as far as a receiver and addressing some of the other needs, which is number one cornerback and my priority in the offseason offensive line, we went back and forth on a number of different ways to go about it. I think we may have a new approach to how we want to see the trade market, free agency, and the draft play out. We will get to that on the other side, plus your calls at 617-779-7937. Once again, let's catch you up on everything in sports. Trending now with Andrew. Fitzy and Hart on WEEI. WEEI. Save us as a favorite on the Odyssey app. And take Boston Sports Original everywhere you go. Six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven is the telephone number. If you'd like to get in touch with us, talk some Bruins and Celtics who had themselves one hellified Saturday. We're talking Patriots right now. A wild week of stories, movement amongst coaches, Mac Jones controversy, arguments, more. It's all on the table until one o'clock when, of course, we throw it down to JetBlue Park for the second and hopefully pitch clock violation free edition of. Red Sox 2023 Spring Training Baseball. Uh, to the car we go with John. Wants to talk some Celtics real quick. Hi, John. How are you? Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, uh, Andrew, real quick. You know, that was a compliment when I said, you know, Dartmouth is like a nicer version of New Bedford. That, I, I didn't mean that as a uh, <laughs> We all know this. The, the, the South Coast is where it's at. Uh, listen, right. hey, I know. Uh the the, the 76ers last night, that was hilarious. You know, I, I laugh every time we play them. It really, you know, it, it reminds me of the, the, the new Bills-Patriots thing where everybody say, well, it's not a rivalry because they have your number. Well, it's not a rivalry here either because the Celtics clearly had the 76ers number dating back to 2018. So when we're pointing fingers, Andrew, I believe uh, the 76ers can't really point a finger at the Celtics saying, well, you guys haven't won anything. Uh, and I think the same thing with uh, the Suns, because they're like all of a sudden a super team put together. And we've had their number the past couple of years as well. So while I would love to see a Suns matchup, I still don't understand who is going to guard Jason Tatum in a seven-game series from either of those teams. I, I think the Celtics can uh, have the big lineup to go, up and go against uh, Giannis and deal with Joel Embiid. And, and, and as well, Aiden, but I certainly don't don't see who's going to cover Tatum. I do. You know, uh, John, I appreciate the call. Thanks very much. Uh, I, too, remember back when the 76ers beat the Celtics. I think it was one game in the playoff series and uh, confetti fell from the ceiling. It was game three of yeah, that yeah. series. Yep. Remember that? I, I don't think yep. they're ever going to live that down. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one to come back from, even though obviously that has nothing to do with 
Joel Embiid or a player nope. on the court. Um, but you're right. It gets tied into them. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, this whole uh, rivalry or who hasn't won anything, because it goes even deeper. I mean, you have a team like the Nuggets, the number one team in the West right now, with Jokic, who is well on his way to potentially his third straight MVP. That certainly has something to prove in the postseason. So you know, there are a lot of teams with plenty to prove this postseason. I guess the one that really has the least to prove is probably the Bucks, right? They're they're mm-hmm. an NBA title contender. They have their title. They have their MVP centerpiece. If they can stay healthy, I think they probably believe they have as good a chance of anybody to get back to the finals and win it. But everybody else is jockeying for uh, a chance to prove themselves, to get over the hump, to collect a ring. And I, I love the Suns' story. And I know we in the NBA fall in love with these a year ago. It was the Nets. Well, what if the Nets come together? Look at that talent. The difference with the Suns is they don't have the albatross that is Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving ruins everything for everything he's around, whereas Chris Paul is just a little bit of an underachiever, hasn't been able to close. They have a lot, and Booker, Aiton, they have a lot of talent on that roster. They could be a, a fun lot. team to watch. Oh, that, that's, about, that's a super complete team right there, and if they get their blank together or can develop the chemistry that obviously the Suns believe they could and should, given how much they traded for Kevin Durant, they could turn into a force. They might be an absolute wagon coming out of the Western Conference. I think they're going to represent the conference. I think they have enough time to gel and figure out ball distribution and chemistry. I mean, they should. There's, there's almost no excuse when you trade that much <clears throat> draft capital and that many assets to acquire a player of Kevin Durant's talent. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, to the phones, once again, we go. We got Allison in Cambridge. Good morning. Uh, technically, good afternoon, Allison. How are you? Hi, guys. Good afternoon. I thought I'd say hi, guys. About the pitch clock, since it was put in for pace of play, not for player safety or whether a, a catch is a catch, I think that for regular season games, no pitch clock for the ninth inning, and for postseason, no pitch clock at all. I mean, first of all, you don't care about long games in postseason. And the mano a mano between the pitcher and the hitter in the last game in, re- in the last inning in regular season and certainly pr- throughout postseason you want that but can't they have mono why, a- why can't they have mono imano under a, a time limit like it's still a matchup of two individual athletes going at it it's just you you don't have as elongated mind games and delays i i, I still think it's a head-to-head matchup that can be fun anytime even under a pitch clock even Pedro, who worked very fast, there were certain situations where maybe he'd want to be slow, and certainly for postseason and for the ninth inning, if you even have a starting pitcher in the ninth inning. I'm just saying that the fact is you don't want a game to end because of that. And since it is just for pace of play, so even from a practical sense, who cares? When you're down to the ninth inning, who cares? Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. And for postseason, I think that you want things to play out as they always have. I mean... And, 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 and it will probably go faster because people will be used to the pitch clock for most of the time. Well, I that I think that, is true. That I think is definitely true. Is Once they get trained to the and thank you for timing, the call, Allison. Appreciate it. I do think that just inherently everything will go faster. They're not going to be looking at clocks. They're just going to be playing the way that they have sort of been reprogrammed to play the game. Uh, what do you think about that, Fitzy, in terms of maybe eliminating some of these things in the postseason? I don't. I don't like it. I want the game to be played the same way continuously. You can't. You can't at that point, if you're coaching and conditioning people up to playing by a new set of rules and a standard, you can't then ask them to just like, okay, everything that you've done this season, now throw it all away right. or discard what we've asked you to do and recalibrate for the way things used to be. I, I love that idea too. The 
the 25 second stare down, you know, the, the closer coming in in the ninth, two men on a one run lead, two outs. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thrills, the kind of, the kind of excitement and the kind of drama that you work all season for and that we, we, the fans cherish, but think about this. It'll also probably put some years back on your life because you'll spend less time standing in front of the TV, pacing around the radio or however you're consuming the game anxious about, come on, just, you know, swing the bat or deliver the pitch. Like it's just got to keep moving. Like they've, they've tried to change the game. I think they're going to implement it all season long. Maybe they'll review it after the season, but for the time being, the game's going to get played the way, you know, business is going to be done as business is getting done. And that's where the pitch clock now, it is weird. It is. I, I, I appreciate the effort, but I got to tell it's weird. I like it. I'm, I'm all for it. I am. I'm all for it. Now the, the postseason thing, I guess maybe an argument could be made, but I'm trying to think, I know that there's differences in overtime rules in the NFL from regular mm-hmm. season to postseason and in hockey from regular yep. season to postseason, but that's not the same as changing an in-game rule like this pitch clock from regular season to postseason. I don't think you have a lot of that. I don't think you want that. Um, I think you want to play the game the way it's been played for 162 and not change things in in October. I want to get to our recalibrated approach to the free agency that is impending in the NFL. We are about two weeks away. March 13th is the official beginning, although tampering is probably taking place now, let alone legal tampering three days prior. Andy and I have a recalibrated potential approach for the Patriots as far as free agency, the trade market, and the draft. But a few more calls on the Celtics. They just keep pouring in. Kyle's up in Lowell. Kyle. Kyle. Hey, how's it going? First, before the Celtics, the baseball callers calling in mad about the, the pitch clock. They just sound like morons. I mean, every <laughs> the football and basketball have had shot clocks and, and game clocks going forever. It's just get over it. Major sports are doing it. The professional athletes, they should be able to adapt. Like That's like getting mad that Joel Embiid's half-court shot didn't count because the buzzer ran out last night. Like, it just sounds ridiculous. Like, anyways, <laughs> Celtics, I'm, I'm excited this year. I think Joey Maz really changed the offense. He made it more – I think our offense looked way better to start the year. Obviously, we kind of plateaued a little bit. But end of the game, play he drew up for Jason Tatum last night, unreal play. Put Tatum, isolation, basically going full speed, be able to do whatever he wanted. Uh, I'm excited to see if we're able to carry that to the playoffs, but no way I, do I agree with the last caller that we can just overlook Philly and definitely not Milwaukee. Like, it's going to be difficult. I think that game showed it last night. Oh, yeah, you can't overlook either of those teams, but Kyle, let me ask you this. Are you at all concerned? I know, listen, you got whoever scores the most points wins. Got it. Okay, thanks for uh, overstating the obvious. But are you at all concerned that the Celtics' defense doesn't seem to have the same teeth it did last season? Yeah, I think it's something you got to – it's like a give-and-take type of thing. Like, I, I hope they can carry over the same principles that we put in. But I honestly got frustrated with Amy's offensive coaching at times last year, especially in the championship against the Warriors. I mean, we got so stagnant. Jason Tatum just started moving the ball and making people better as, like, an elite player this year. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that was Joey Maz or if Amy had been trying to do it, but the offense is different this year. We play more like the Warriors where it's just getting wide-open threes after wide-open threes, and that's clearly – if, we might not have to play the Warriors this year, but I feel like we built our team and our offense more if we run into them in the championship again, that we'd have a better chance to be able to compete with them if Steph is healthy and everything. Right. That's, that's a quality call, Kyle. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Enjoy your Sunday, buddy. Uh, Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, I wonder, Andy, if Do people if call necessary. him Joey Maz? Yeah, he's called Joey Maz. Hmm. I didn't know that. Well, you can't just call him Maz because... 
All right. Well, yeah, no. Yep. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> Not but... anymore. <laughs> Not in this economy. <laughs> but that being said, uh, I wonder if the Celtics will be able to just sort of like pull from the toolbox, if you will, or be able to like transition and switch styles in a game and go back to no the more fundamentally sound defense first, or if it's just going to be like what you see is what you get this season. Yeah, they're a they're an okay defensive team. First of all. The scoring seems like it's up. I should probably check this, but scoring's up. Like, this is not uh, mm-hmm. a defensive year, a defensive league, and the numbers are up, and that's true for the Celtics. They're not horrific defensively, but do I think they're just going to flip a switch? We've gotten into that terminology over the years with various veteran teams, playoff-bound teams, teams cruising towards a potential title run. No. They're, they are not going to turn into a defensive basketball team where suddenly you're holding teams to below 100 points. Uh, in the postseason, that is not going to happen, and and I'm not just saying that because um, Marcus Smart, I don't think, has been as good this year. Rob Williams has been inconsistent. They they haven't been on the court together a whole hell of a lot this year because Williams missing the early part, and then Marcus Smart missing the part before the All Star break. I just I don't think that's realistic to think about, and I do think Eme had something to do with that and the way he ran his defense. And uh, Kyle's right; the offense did stagnate. Uh, in mm-hmm. the finals at times. And yes, if, if if Joey Maz can uh, avoid that, I'm all for it. Well, your guys, my guys, Derek White and uh, Malcolm Brogdon have been key in preventing the offense mm-hmm. from going stagnant for large stretches of the season, whether the stars are out or the stars are having a tough night or it's not a Brown night or it's not a Tatum night. So maybe that's the key for this team right now. Like I've been singing the songs and praises of the past couple of weeks that these guys will prevent the offense from stagnating when it counts, uh, quick update, by the way, the 1 o'clock, the marquee NBA matchup today is the Phoenix Suns at the Milwaukee Bucks, a matchup, uh, rematch of the title game, title series, rather, the NBA Finals from just under two years ago. Giannis Attentacumpo is out today with a quad Ooh. injury, Andy. So uh, Coach Mike Budenholzer says that it shouldn't be a big deal going forward. However, it's bad enough that he has to miss at least the game today. So that bears watching and keeping an eye on going forward now to what i had teased earlier uh talking patriots you've been banging the drum ad nauseum and now of course we got your buddy patriots uh red jacket wearer hall of famer super bowl champion teddy brewski joining you and that the Pats should go all in and make an effort to trade for t higgins that that's how they should approach getting a number one receiver getting a guy on the outside and a stud and a star for Mac to throw to to open the offense up and get his game back in gear. Then, of course, there are all the Mac haters who say, whatever, he's mid-bro, trade him. I'm, I'm not here for that right now. I'm not going to entertain that. We can just we can give the guy one more season to figure out who he is before they move on from him. Oh, my God, look at the damage they did last year with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge calling the offense. However, I think we got down to something interesting this week, perhaps now going with what Mike Reese was talking about, taking a chance, going back into the talent pool that is the NFL draft and maybe drafting a stud receiver early to control the cost, get some elite speed, and take a chance. So, Andy, are you on board with me now that maybe the path for the Patriots could be, or they could also address the cornerback position with a trade as well. So, do you like the idea, first and foremost, of signing a stud tackle to lock up the offensive line, my priority number one, in free agency, whether it's Warren from Jacksonville, McGlinchey from out in San Francisco, or the prize of free agency, Orlando Brown, should he not get franchise tagged by the Chiefs? So 
when you plan a really good meal, you might think you're going to go to this, you know, we're going to have fish tonight. And then you go to the store and there's like one filet left and you're like, that smells a little funny. Yeah. Oh, I don't Why think I want last fish piece tonight. Of fish? Who wants to be the guy that buys the last piece of fish? Nobody. So you go over to the meat market and go, oh, a lot of steaks. You know what, honey? I know I said fish, but we're going to have some good steaks tonight. To me, that is what this offseason represents to the Patriots. The wide receiver market is difficult. There's no free agent you can go buy that is going to fill your need for a number one receiver. You're going to have to overpay for a trade. So... Much like uh, is always the case, people are always a couple steps behind me. My T. Higgins idea doesn't work this offseason. Sorry, Teddy Bruschi. I'm Hot oh, Rod no. Roddy Piper. Just when oh, you think it. you have the oh, answers, look look I've changed the questions. Himself, huh? You have multiple tackles available. There's multiple opportunities. Pro Football Focus believes the Patriots will sign and be the landing spot for Orlando Brown. You can get Jordan Addison at the 14th pick, get a franchise wide receiver, a guy with 100 catches a year ago at Pittsburgh, and not put all your eggs in the T. Higgins basket, still have that fourth-round pick that would probably be part of that trade, still have more cap space beyond Orlando Brown to go get Jamel Dean, the cornerback who PFF says the Patriots are going to sign from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So as much as I wanted a number one Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs splash, it doesn't make sense for the here and the now and the opportunities of the market so you got to take what is available to you and put your resources to best use, and that means Addison or a receiver at 14. That means sign a tackle. That means diversify your offseason. Okay, so instead of going and trading for a T. Higgins, drafting a tackle, you go and get an absolute lockdown stud, a wall, a hoss like an Orlando Brown, and then you sign Jamel Dean. Interesting because that means farewell Jacoby Myers. That means farewell Jonathan Jones as well. Two locker room leaders, positive guys, community leaders. Okay, I get it. That that approach could work. It could be another uncharacteristically aggressive offseason with some free agent money to spend. What about the approach of signing a tackle, then trading for a wide receiver like Hopkins, and then drafting a corner in the first round? Or, Andy, would you prefer to trade for a corner like Jalen Ramsey, who is pretty much certain to be moved from the Los Angeles Rams? Maybe he costs a second-round pick. And then you draft a wide receiver like Smith Injuba or Addison uh, Addison Reed, your guy from USC. Jordan Addison, not Jordan Addison. Addison. I, can't, I, I see. There's got to be an Addison Reed somewhere. Who's Addison Reed? Something. That's the second time you've done that. And the first time I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, who the f is is Addison Reed? Oh my god! You know who he he was one of my RAs at college. Jesus. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. I don't care about your college. All right. You can understand why I would make the verbal slip up. Be that Jeez. as it may, Jordan Addison and trade for Ramsey or trade for D-Hop, if you will, and then draft a corner like a Gonzalez. So I think I would probably go the the wide receiver. It's a tough situation Mm because you're banking on the development of something, whether it's a corner, whether it's a receiver. And I know people would say, well, Bill knows corners better in the draft. When Bill drafts a corner, develops a corner, the corner's pretty good. You marry up two young corners. More often than not, he's done a pretty good job. When they're lower round picks, they usually end up working out. But the second round has been pretty tough. I've got a Duke Dawson and a Joan Williams I'd like to show you right over here. Yeah, there's swings and misses everywhere, right? I mean, does he do a good job? Can I interest you in a Jonathan Wilhite or a Razai Dowling? No, you cannot. I would (laughs) not like either of those. But I I would be interested in an Asante Samuel or a Devin McCourty or any of those Jonathan Joneses and various guys they've gotten over the years. So they develop corners. Be that as it may. Be that as it may, mm-hmm. um, 
I like the idea of the Dean. I don't know Dean all that well, and I'm not going to pretend I watched all the Bucks games. He's a good young corner. He's considered one of the better corners on the market. And if you marry him up with Jack Jones and move Jalen Mills back to safety, where I think he was supposed to play anyway, that actually fills the void of the free safety. Who's going to play if McCourty either A, retires, or B, takes on a slightly lesser role even if he returns? I like how that secondary would be coming together uh, with a veteran to help Jack Jones and his development. And who knows, maybe Jones ends up being the number one and Dean ends up being the number two uh, over uh, the, the long haul of the next couple of years. I think that's a pretty intriguing option. And I want the young receiver. I, I want the young developmental receiver. I don't want the Band-Aid. Yes, you can sell me on D-Hop. I'd take D-Hop and Jordan Addison. If you tell me you take Addison 14 and then trade a third or a fourth round pick for D-Hop, now, D-Hop, we still don't know if he would work with Billy O. Does he hate Billy O or not, or not hate Billy O? What have, we, what have we concluded in that area? What have we concluded in which area? Um, when hosts aren't listening, part three. D-Hop. Does yes, he hate DeAndre Billy Hopkins. O what have we made of him? the trying to mend fences? And Yes. We still don't know. I mean, there have been the NFL executives and people that were mentioned in Jeremy Fowler's piece on ESPN that said, watch out for that. It could happen. Don't rule it out. And then there are some who say that, that, you know, that's a bridge too far. I still think, Andy, that because of the love from that piece that went viral before the Patriots played the Cardinals uh, for their from their in-season hard knocks, that DeAndre Hopkins would want to play for Bill Belichick and actually return to relevance and not just sit out in the desert and rot on a team that is, has 5-12 and 12 tops written all over them. I think he would try to, like, swallow the bitter pill, mend fences with Bill O'Brien, and want to get back in the good graces of the NFL and play with Bill Belichick. Why wouldn't he? But there are other teams that may want him as well. I mean, what I team? I was going to say, it's not an either-or. No, you he could, could actually go to a You contender. could him with the Giants. Maybe he'll right. go to Detroit. Who knows? There could be a number of places uh, where DeAndre... I, I put it about this Kansas way. City? Oh, jeez. I mean, you put him on Kansas City, then watch out, because you're going to have Patrick Mahomes raising another Vince Lombardi trophy before we can even get back to the playoffs and hope the Patriots can win a wild card if not a divisional round. 617-779-7937 is the telephone number. Final thoughts to wrap up everything Celtics, Bruins, Sox, Pats, and more with Fitzy and Hart. When we come back, don't go anywhere. WEI. We are right back to Fitzy and Hart. Streaming everywhere on the Odyssey app. You are just a couple of minutes away from game number two, spring training 2023 for your Boston Red Sox as they play host to AL East rival Tampa Bay at beautiful JetBlue Park. You've got Castigs and the Flem Dog on the call, and we're all looking forward to that and hopefully no pitch clock violations as well. Andy, final thoughts on everything Celtics, Bruins, Sox, and Patriots, perhaps some other nuggets from the Sunday 7 or everything else six rings we discussed this week you would care to share with the audience before we put a bow on it. Well, as I teased earlier, uh, Combine gets underway in Indy this week. Tuesday, you'll start to have press conferences with most teams, coaches and or general managers, obviously not the New England Patriots because they have almost never taken part in that little uh dog and pony show but i believe 29 of the 32 teams the patriots the chargers and the rams will not be represented everybody else on press conferences then you got the prospects later in the week thursday friday saturday sunday on nfl network and a little nugget i noticed and i don't know if we'll get more information on this 
Sounds like Matthew Judon is taking part in the NFL Network's Combine Media coverage. Uh, oh, I love that. Jumped, yeah, jumped out at me, and I couldn't tell based on the information that I had from their PR person if it was on NFL Network or on, I think they're doing some expanded stuff on the, what the hell's their thing called, NFL Plus? Is that their streaming app service It is, service the one thing? where Cynthia Freudland's uh, matchup breakdowns and more are available every week. Yes, and the thing that apparently rarely works if you subscribe to it and have a lot of (laughs) bugs and issues. Uh, But yeah, Matthew Judon taking part. And just for the uh, draft, Nick, in all of us, uh, we can start to put more uh, face conversations, images, testing times with the prospects we're talking about, whether it be Addison Reed or Jordan Addison, whoever you prefer for the Patriots at number 14 overall. Addison Reed. (laughs) I'm sure there's an Addison Reed that plays football somewhere. There might be an Addison Reed somewhere in sports. I don't know where in the holy hell I got that from. I do think I did know somebody at college by the name of Addison. You don't meet a lot of Addisons in this life, so you get him confused every now and again. These things happen. Um, I, I did like the little nuggets this week as well. Uh, according to NFL.com, they graded all the rookie classes from 2022. And the Patriots draft class, which looked like it was really working out by the time everyone played in the Cleveland game. <laughs> yeah, they finished 24th overall. <laughs> so we have the 25th best quarterback, the 24th best <laughs> rookie class. Things are really looking up around Looking here. up at Foxborough. Start making plans for next January oh. that don't involve football games. <laughs> oh. However, as you pointed out on the socials in WEI.com, the Patriots do have the best pass rush duo. Mm, Notice arguably. I didn't say it Collinsworth style, pass rush. Uh, they have the best pass rush combo in Judon and uh, yeah, boy, the Uche. So there's something. Uchi. There's plenty to build off of. Plus, Danny Amendola this week was on Chris Long's podcast uh, and said that uh, Mac and Bill O'Brien will equal massive success this year. So come on, let's look up. And when has Danny Amendola ever been wrong? Well, when is the last time he said something nice about the Patriots? Because he's been so mad at Belichick for a while. He's happy. He's excited. He's in the media now. He's a model. He's doing all those post-career things. Yeah. Must be nice. Must be mm. nice. Good job, producer Andrew Meehan. Good job by you, Jumbo. You'll catch us this week on the Six Rings Pod and, of course, alternating every other night on the Rich Keefe Show, the part of the resistance, the nighttime show you never want to miss. So please make sure you tune in. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening today. This has been Fitzy and Hart on WEEI. Miss a show? Subscribe to the podcast. We take you now to spring training baseball, Rays versus Sox. Have a good one, everyone.